Hi, this is Pastor Curtis. I want to thank you for checking out the Family Church Podcast. I hope it encourages you and inspires you to take your next step of faith. You can find out more about how to do that at our website, familychurch.xyz. And if you know a friend who needs to hear this message, please forward it on to them. I hope you enjoy the message. 34 years ago, this past August, we moved to Wellsville, and I began uh, pastoring here at this church after we'd lived here a couple of years. Started driving a school bus, which I did up until a couple of years ago. Drove for 29 and a half years. 29 and a half years picking up mama's little darlings, taking them back home. <laughs> then shortly after I began driving a school bus, I got my substitute teacher's license and began substitute teaching in the middle and high school. Some in the elementary, but mostly middle and high school, which I, I still do occasionally to this day. Then a few years after that, I was hired as the director of the Wellsville Joint Recreation Commission, which I did for about, I asked Sue, we couldn't remember, 10 or 11 years. And at the time that I took each of these part-time jobs, I had a plan. I had a plan. My motive was, was financial. It's purely financial. We had five children. They were all little. Sue was a stay-at-home mom because she homeschooled. And so uh, I talked with the church board, and uh, they graciously said, yeah, yeah, we, whatever you need to do to, you know, if it doesn't interfere with your ministry duties. And so they were on board with that. So taking these part-time jobs, I had a plan. What I didn't realize at the time was even though I had my plan, God had a plan as well. God was working behind the scenes to, to increase my network of contacts and eventually, ultimately, my realm of influence. So when I thought that I was just making some extra income by heading out on my school bus every morning, picking up the Bowden kids, God had another plan. And now, 30-some years later, little Danny Bowden grows up, gets married, God had pity on him, gave him a lovely wife, three wonderful kids. And today, Dan's back there in the AVL team almost, almost every Sunday helping out. Corey, his wife, is helping with family kids ministry. See, I thought I was making some extra income, but apparently God had another plan. Then when I went by and picked up the McDaniel kids, who were all lined up, oldest to youngest, at the end of the driveway each morning, Lauren, Paige, Lexi, Nash. Where's Nash? Where's Nash? Oh, there he is, shuffling his feet, crying, because he doesn't want to go to school. Lisa's standing at the door in her robe. She doesn't want to come outside, yelling at Lauren, go get your brother. She'd go back and drag Nash onto the bus, and he's crying all the way to school. Now, sometimes I look out here on Sunday mornings when the, when the stars align just right and the whole family's back for the holidays. I look at our live stream and I see these hands sticking up, blocking our live stream, and it's the McDaniels family all lined up again. But now they're here at church. I was just trying to make some extra money. God apparently had another plan. Then every afternoon... I would drop off that troublemaker, Eddie Haskell, I mean Eddie Scholler, at his house. And actually, Ed, Eddie really wasn't too bad. I only had to tell him once that he was going to burn in hell if he didn't straighten up, and that pretty much did it. <laughs> Just kidding. 
maybe. <laughs> a few years later, Ed got engaged to his wife, Heather Bailey. Guess who they asked to officiate their wedding ceremony? And after 25 years and a new grandbaby later, I hear, when I look at our live stream service, I see Heather Scholler serving faithfully as one of our online greeters from our eFam. I was just wanting to make some extra money. God had another plan. And honestly, Ed and Heather were just the first of many other young couples who I met through driving a school bus or in a classroom substitute teaching who ended up asking me to officiate at their wedding. Seamus and Emily, they, they come and they serve on our first impressions team. Sue and I went by and prayed for Christy Souders this past week. Christy and her sisters used to ride my bus, pick them up, drop them off, and lay loop every day. Now, many years later, she's a part of our eFam and serves faithfully as well as a, as a greeter. She's also in the fight of her life right now with stage four cancer, so we need to keep her in our prayers. I, I was just trying to make some extra money. God had another plan. When I was serving as rec director, a couple of board members were Sarah Clam and Stacy Newhouse. Today, Sarah's a board member, the first woman board member we've ever had at this church, by the way. And she and her husband, Doug, served faithfully on our first impression team. I actually met Doug through the wreck. He was coaching his boys in some of the sports. Stacy is one of our baristas back at our coffee bar. She was a board member through the wreck. That's how I met her. Actually, that's how I first met Mike as well who's now our treasurer and CR director. Mike was kind of the maintenance guy. He mowed out at the wreck. And I, and I thought about asking how many people who attend family church today who met me, not as a pastor, not in the role of what I'm doing now, but in a role of one of those other part-time jobs that I had as a substitute teacher, bus driver, or rec director. Steve Higby had a nickname for him. He called me Slash. One time he called me Slash. I'm thinking, Guns and Roses guitar player? What, you know, what are you talking about here? He says, no, he says that you're a pastor slash recreation director slash bus driver slash substitute driver. <laughs> so we're beginning a new series this morning I'm excited about titled Change Your World. And I just started reading this book by John Maxwell by the same title. And the premise of the book is how God's strategy, and this is, this is what you need to hear, God's strategy for evangelizing the world, for reaching the world, is by using our realm of influence or our sphere of influence because we all have a realm or a sphere of influence. So, so to launch this new series, I, I want to look at a statement that Jesus made that one of his disciples recorded for us. It's found in Matthew chapter 5, and Jesus made these statements in his most famous sermon, the Sermon on the Mount. And here's what he says in Matthew 5 verse 14. He says, you are the world's light, a city on a hill. Glowing in the night for all to see. Now, please note that the, the descriptive metaphor were to be not just a city, but a city on a hill. The goal is to not just be seen, but to stand out. And that becomes clear with his next statement in verses 15 and 16. Don't hide your light. Let it shine for all. Let your good deeds glow for all to see so that they will praise your heavenly Father. Notice he says to make sure that our good deeds are shining forth when it comes to sharing Christ and being a witness. Not by rebuking or pointing out what someone else is doing wrong, but by bringing our good deeds front and center. 
So how do we, how do we let our good deeds glow for all to see? Well, one way that we do this is, uh, as a church is by serving our community in Jesus' name, by making up goodie baskets, taking them to City Hall and to the police department and to the library and to the volunteer fire department and to first responders and the businesses around town by providing a meal for a family after this, they've just buried a loved one. Sometimes just by being a listening ear for someone who's, who's in a dark or desperate place. And even though the recipients of these baskets, these gifts, even though these families, even though these desperate hurting people might not come to know Jesus right then or acknowledge him right then, there might come a time in their life when, when they'll remember that, that act of kindness that we did in Jesus' name. And then who knows, maybe, just maybe, they might want to know your God, our God, and come to praise our Heavenly Father, as Jesus says. This is the strategy that God chose for reaching and changing the world, which means, now watch this because this is important. This means that you are part of God's witnessing and evangelizing strategy. God wants to use you, not just me, not just Kyle, not just Natalie, not those that are in leadership. At the, God wants to use you because you all have a sphere of influence. You all have a, we all have a circle or group of friends or people, no matter how large or small, that we influence, either positively or negatively or even neutrally. You, me, we all have some level of influence on people around us. So this morning, I want to help you discover what your realm of influence is and how God wants to use that influence to advance his kingdom. There's a story in the book of Acts where this truth is powerfully illustrated. Here's a little bit of the backstory. The apostle Paul and a friend of his named Silas were traveling through Macedonia, which is kind of present day, northern Greece and the area between Kosovo and Bulgaria. One day on their way to the temple to pray, a demon-possessed lady who was being trafficked by some owners as a, as a fortune teller, began following Paul and Silas around. And she, she was basically kind of stirring up trouble and creating chaos and confusion, confusion which was pre- pre- preventing people from listening to the gospel that Paul and Silas were sharing with people. And this gal would just follow her around and just kind of mock them. We don't know exactly what she was saying, but it was preventing people from hearing the gospel. And this went on for a few days. Finally, Paul had heard enough. He turns to the woman one day, commands the demon to come out of her, which it did. The problem was, now that the woman couldn't predict the future anymore because the demon left, because that's who was predicting the future, so she was no longer able to make money now as a fortune teller. This made her traffickers mad. So the traffickers get mad at Paul and Silas, go and drag them because their pocketbooks have been hit. So they get Paul and Silas, drag them to the local authorities and accuse them of creating an uproar in the city by, this, this, was, their, this was their line, this was their accusation, their accusation, promoting Jewish customs that were unlawful for Romans. <laughs> yeah, right. It was bogus. But they had to come up with something. So they, they couldn't really say, well, they cast the demon out of this woman we've been trafficking, right? So they came up with these bogus charges. But the magistrates sided with the owners of the girl, and they had Paul and Silas beaten and then thrown in jail. And here's where we pick up the story in Acts chapter 16, verse 23. After they had been severely flogged, they were thrown into prison, and the jailer was commanded to guard them carefully. When he received these orders, talking about the jailer, he put them in the inner cell. This would have been like solitary confinement type area, the the most secure part of the prison, and fastened their feet in the stocks. Verse 25, about midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God, and, and the prisoners were listening 
Look at that. The prisoners were listening to them. Now, let's pause here for a minute. Can we all agree that this was not a good day for Paul and Silas? Anytime you're in jail, how many of you know that's probably not a good day, right? But what I want to point out is the fact that there were some people who apparently took note of Paul and Silas's reaction to this crappy day that they were having. People took note of the fact that these guys who were there unlawfully, illegally, you know, that these guys that should have been whining and crying and complaining, they were doing the opposite. They, they were there praising and worshiping. What's up with that? Well, we're about to find out what's up with that. Because at some point during their praise and worship, the ground began to shake. Verse 26, suddenly there was such a violent earthquake that the foundations of the prison were shaking. This, God was doing this shaking, by the way. At once, all, everyone say all. All the prison doors flew open and everyone, everyone say everyone. Everyone's chains came loose. Notice, we're told it wasn't just Paul and Silas who benefited from this divine inter intervention by God. It says all the prisoners' doors were open and all the prisoners were set free from their shackles. Verse 27, through this commotion, the jailer wakes up. When he saw the prison doors open, he drew his sword and was about to kill himself because he thought the prisoners had escaped. Allowing prisoners to escape was a capital offense and that would have been punishable by death. So basically, he was just gonna do the work for him. He was going to go ahead and kill himself because he was going to be held accountable for those prisoners that escaped. Verses 28 and 29, but Paul shouted, don't harm yourself. We're all here. <laughs> we're present and accounted for. We're out of the cells, but we're all here. The jailer called for lights, rushed in, and fell trembling before Paul and Silas. Paul sees what this jailer's about to do. He intervened. Hey, don't, don't kill yourself. We're here. We're, we're still here. Don't do that, which I'm sure must have surprised the jailer. I mean... <laughs> What prisoner doesn't take off when the prison doors come open, right? But Paul and Silas apparently had not left the prison yet. Verse 30, he then brought them out and asked the, the jailer, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? Or another way to put this would be to say, the jailer asked Paul and Silas, man, your God's different than any God that I've ever experienced. How do I get to know your God? That's what he was asking. How do I get to know your God? And look at Paul's response to the jailer when he asked how to get saved. They replied, believe in the Lord Jesus and you will be saved. But note the second part of Paul's answer to the jailer. Not only will the jailer be saved, you and your household. You see that? Now, before I tell you what this means, let me tell you what it doesn't mean. Paul was not telling the jailer that his salvation was good for his family too. You know, just because your mama, because your grandmama, because your Aunt Flossie's going to heaven as a Christian, that doesn't mean you're going to heaven. All right, you need to understand that. So what, is, what does this mean then? That word household that's used here is the Greek word oikos. The transliteration would be O-I-K-O-S in English. It's an interesting word. It's not talking about a household in the sense that we would think of a household, the people living under your roof. It's more accurately translated people in your realm of relations covering or influence. That's what that word means. So basically, Paul was telling the jailer that if he got saved, then in the same way that his and Silas's presence there in that jail impacted the other prisoners around them because of their living relationship with God, so also will the jailer's radically changed life impact those in his realm of influence. That's what he was saying there. So when we get saved, our hope is to go to heaven, right? Hope is to go to heaven, and that'll happen. But from God's point of view, his hope, his desire is that we would impact our relationships and our realm of influence, our oikos in this life, 
that we would impact that until we get to heaven, which leads us to our big idea for this morning's message. And this is it. We've all been given influence by God to impact the world for his glory, but we have to recognize our influence before we can exercise it. We all have influence, but you got to recognize where that is if you're going to leverage your influence for those people. That's what I want to talk to you about this morning, recognizing our household, our oikos, your realm of sphere of influence, because all of you have an oikos. All of you do, an arena of influence. So how do we do this? How do we leverage our oikos in a way that would cause those in our realm of influence to come and to know Christ as well? The first step in this process is recognizing who or what your oikos your realm of influence is. So I want to give you three things that make up everyone's oikos. The first one is your people. We all have our peeps, right? We all have our peeps, family, friends, coworkers, teammates, neighbors, classmates. And, and God wants you to know that there's an expectation that you will be, what, what was the word that Jesus used? Light to them. That's the expectation that Jesus has for you in your realm of influence, that you would be light. And, and, and a city set on a hill. In other words, don't miss this. Your neighbors are your neighbors for a reason. Your classmates are your classmates for a reason. Your teammates are your teammates for a reason. That, that's not just happenstance. God has them in your oikos, your realm of influence for a reason, so, so you can be light to them, so you can be a city set on a hill for everyone to see. According to sociologists, we all have about 12 people who make up our realm of influence. So, so how'd they come up with that number? Well, if you were to, to monitor the time you spent with people over the course of a week, and then at the end of that seven days, everyone that you spent an hour or more with, not just being in their presence, but face-to-face, one-on-one, intimate conversation with, most people will have about 12 in that, in that group. All right? That is your oikos. That is your sphere or realm of influence. Sidebar here. Studies have shown that most dads spend about seven minutes a day with their children. Seven minutes times seven days is 49 minutes, which means, watch this, which means most fathers don't even have their own children in their oikos. But that's for another sermon. The point for now is you already have an oikos. You are influencing others. Here's what Jesus said about this in Mark 5, verse 19. Go home to your family and tell them, y'all better repent and get saved or you're going to hell. Is that what it says? It says, no, you go tell them how much the Lord has done for who? You. Go tell them how much the Lord has done for you and how he's had mercy on you. Please note that the strategy is to tell your oikos what what God has done for you, not what's going to happen to them if they don't straighten up. Tell them about the great mercy that God has bestowed upon you, mercy that you didn't deserve. See, just, just, just sharing your story and what God has done for you and what he can do for them as well. So, so part of your oikos is your people, your people. Another part of your oikos is your place, your place. In the same way God orchestrates the relationships that make up your people, so also does he orchestrate your geographical places in your life, where you live, where you go to school, where you work, right? You live in Wellsville for a reason. You live in Baldwin for, you live wherever you live for a reason. You know, there's a fascinating verse in Acts that kind of expounds on this just a little bit, uh, this idea of our place. Acts 17, verse 26 says this. 
He created all the people of the world from one man, Adam, and scattered the nations across the face of the earth. He decided beforehand which should rise and fall and when he determined their boundaries. In other words, God, watch this. God determined beforehand the exact times that we would live and the places that we would live while we were on this planet. That's what that's saying. Isn't that amazing? It's true. It really is true. It really is true. Why? Why did, well, he has you there for a reason. To be light. To be a city on a hill. Your oikos, your realm of influence is seen in your people, your network of friends and associates, your place where God currently has, has you living and working and going to school. And the third thing that makes up your oikos is your passion. Now, this is a little bit harder to kind of dial in. But here, here's the thing. Every single one of you have certain passions, things that you get excited about, things that maybe just at the mention of it, you, kind of, you come alive and you kind of get stirred to excitement. That's why we encourage everyone to take the next class because everyone who takes the next class, sometime during that class, we talk about um, kind of dialing that in. You, you take the spiritual inventory uh, test to kind of see how you're wired, you know, the things that you're passionate about, not just to discover them, but to begin to funnel those in a way that God can use those because God will use your passions. He will use your passions. It, isn't it interesting how some topics of conversation bore us to tears while others cause us to come alive? Why is that? Because those things that, that excite us are God-given passions. You know, we're hardwired to like those things, to be passionate about those things. You, me, we all have passions for certain things. And, and the sooner that you realize that and begin living your life in a way that merge your passions with your call to be salt and light and a city on a hill, that's a game changer at that point. Because then you're energized to do that. Because it's your passions that fuel your influence with your people at your place. Psalm 37, verse 4, delight yourself in the Lord, and he will give you the desires of your heart. That's a familiar verse to many of you. The Hebrew word for delight, it's an interesting word. It's the same word that was used to describe a bride putting on her wedding gown, getting ready for her wedding ceremony. In other words, here's what, here's what the psalmist is saying. He's saying that if we'll prepare ourselves and make ourselves beautiful for the Lord, he'll give us the desire of our heart. That's what it's saying. But let me tell you what this doesn't mean. This doesn't mean that God gives you what you want. No, that's not what it means. It means he gives you the want. That's what that means. He doesn't give you what you want. It means he gives you the want. When you're in a right relationship with God, when you're doing your best to serve and delight yourself in him, the desires you have are God-given desires. Now that we're doing three services, it's kind of hard to keep the chairs in, in, in the auditorium here straight and get, you know, spaced and aligned and everything. And that's why sometimes I find myself walking into the auditorium here and I'll, find, I'll just find myself going around straightening chairs. Why do I do that? Because there's some of you just walk by that, you don't think anything about that. Because <laughs> part of me, I'm, I'm a servant. I'm a servant. Some of, you, some of you have, you're, you're hardwired for mercy. And so you'll be at a service sometime and you'll see someone sitting alone. And then maybe at some point you'll feel prompted to go talk with them and say, hey, you can come sit with me or, or hey, introduce yourself and, and kind of reach out to them. What made you do that? Just because? No, no, because God wired you to do that. God wired you to do that. Some of you have, some of you have great, some of you are givers. Some of you, God has given, you're very generous. And we do have some great givers, very generous givers here. 
at Family Church. And it's been a, bit, it's been a real blessing. But some of your, you, so you'll be at church on some, some Sunday and you'll, you'll find out about a need and, and you'll want to help out financially. Why? What makes you want to do that? Because God made you that way. Some of you have great leadership skills and you're sitting out there right, th- you know, you're thinking right now, you know, I could preach this better than Pastor C. Okay, you probably could. <laughs> the point being, don't just, don't just follow your passions. Begin to view them through the grid of, of being a light. A city on a hill. Here's why. God's trying to direct your life around your sphere of influence, your oikos, because that's the hope of the world. That's the hope of the world. So how do we do this? I want to I wrap this thing up by giving you three practical things you can do to make a difference and change your world. Through, through, through the unique desires, the gifts, the passions that God has given you. So here are three very practical things you can do to make a difference and change your world. The first way that you can start changing the world is through your manner. Your manner. Now, how many of you growing up were ever told to mind your manners? <laughs> Anyone? <laughs> what does that mean anyway? What does, that, what does that mean? It's talking about your attitude, right? Your behavior, your disposition. When you have a bad attitude, that's going to show through your actions. It just does. It just does. Bad manners are the result of immaturity. Some of you, if you're ever going to be used by God, you need to grow up. I'm sorry. <laughs> Pastor, see, getting a little sassy this morning. No, seriously. Some of you feel like you're stuck spiritually in a rut. You need to grow up. You need an attitude adjustment. Those of you who are struggling in your Christian walk and feel like you're, you know, I, mean, I just, I'm just don't feel like I'm getting anywhere. Let me, let me tell you, you know how, I'll, I'll give you an idea. Here's what you can do. If you really want to grow in your relationship, here's what you can do. This is, this is a surefire way to grow and mature in your relationship with God. Um, sign up to host or lead a growth group. Seriously. Sign up to host or lead a growth group because here's what's going to happen. The evening of your first meeting, about an hour before everyone arrives, you and your spouse are going to get in a big knockdown, drag out fight. Right? And normally, if you weren't hosting the growth group, that fight would last till, you know, two or three days later, right? But because you're hosting a growth group, and you have about 10 or 12 people coming over shortly, you've got to mind your manners. You've got to change your attitude because you realize how you live your life doesn't just affect you it can affect others, your realm of influence. Some of you couples might feel like your marriage disqualifies you from leading or hosting a group. I've actually had someone say, what, in the pastor, when me and the wife, me and the husband, we kind of we get things sorted out, you know, then, that, then, then, we'll, then we'll be willing to host a growth group. <laughs> really? Good luck with that. <laughs> See you in heaven, Maybe. You know, if it makes you feel better, you know, Sue and I argue too. Sue and I argue too. That's part of marriage. It's part of marriage. The key is learning to forgive and make up as soon as possible. See, our argument, Sue and I's arguments never last very long at all because at some point I always tell her, honey, you can have your opinion and God and I will have ours. And that pretty much ends it. (laughs) Recognize your manner. Second, recognize your moment. Recognize your moment. Think about this. There are about 7 billion people on this planet. But our God is so big and so powerful and so smart that in the midst of all these people, he'll actually orchestrate the events of your life in a way where your life will will cross paths with someone else. Not just anyone, but someone specific. God has the ability to do that. God has it. Why? Why does God do that? 
because he has a hope, a hope that you would be a city on a hill, a light shining brightly. Psalm 37, verse 23, the steps of a good man are ordered by the Lord. The steps of a good man are ordered by the Lord. Solomon said something similar, Proverbs 16, 9. The mind of a person plans his way. Like I told you, man, I had this plan to just make some extra money. I was just, you know, just, yeah, I'll get to take this part-time job. The mind of a person plans his way, but the Lord directs his steps. I had a plan. I had a plan. So did God. It totally changes your outlook on the day when you head out the door each morning with the mindset that your manner, your attitude, your outlook, and your moments, those, those divine intersections that God orchestrates when you recognize that they really can make a difference. And the third and the most important thing that will help you make a difference is your message. Your message. Our message isn't threatening. Our message isn't you better straighten up or else. Our message isn't turn or burn, right? For too many years, for too many years, the church was known for what it was against instead of what it was for. We don't drink, we don't chew, we don't run with those who do. We need to change that message. We want people to know what God is for, that he's for you, that we have a message. We have a message. 1 Peter 3.15, always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope that you have, but do this with gentleness and respect. Some of you, it would be a good thing if you wrote out your faith journey, your testimony, how you came to Christ in three minutes or less. Why? So you can do what Peter tells us here. Always be prepared. Always be prepared to give an answer to anyone who asks you for the hope that you have. Even though I attended church as a child and accepted Christ as my Lord and Savior as a little boy, I never, never felt close to God or like I really knew him. That gap became even wider, that gap between me and God that became wider after my family life blew up. My parents got divorced when I was in fourth grade. After that, I pretty much ignored God. He eventually started living a very selfish and reckless life. I didn't realize it at the time, but I, I was just searching. I was just searching. That's my story. I, I, I was just searching, searching and self-medicating, trying to numb the pain. But I had people praying for me my sister and others, and God finally answered those prayers by showing me the futility and emptiness of the destructive and reckless life that I was living. So one morning I got down on my knees and I cried out to God, literally cried out to God. God, if you're, if you're real, I need to know. I need to know, God, show me. I need to know. And you know, it didn't happen right then. Nothing major happened, but little by little, over the next few days, weeks, months, and now 46 years later, God is still showing me that he indeed is real. That's my story. That's my story. So here are some questions to keep the discussion going and a bonus assignment. Here's your bonus assignment. Write your testimony in three minutes or less. Seriously, sit down sometime this week. Just write out your testimony. Just your story. How you came to know Christ. And condense it down to where you can tell it in less than three minutes. All right. Why? So you'll be ready at any time to give an answer for the hope that you have, like Peter said. Now, to keep the discussion going, three questions. What does your sphere of influence look like? How can you be intentional to reach others through that influence? Second, 
We are all a product of someone else's influence. Who has influenced your life most? What difference have they made in your life? And then third, God doesn't just ask us to do something. He gives us a passion to do it. What are, your most, what are you most passionate about in life, and how can you use your passions to influence others? Listen, dear ones, God's called you to change your world. So come on, let's go. Let's go. Let's go out and be light. Let's be a city on a hill, and let's, let's change. You know, we, we don't need to change the world. We just need to change our world. And when we change our world, then the world will be changed. Bow your heads. Let me pray for you. Lord, I pray that you would show everyone their sphere, their realm of influence. Show them their people, their place, their passion. Begin working in in people's lives. I pray that you would bless them with, with good manners, good attitudes. Help them recognize the moments that you orchestrate and, 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 and use their message, their, their story. Season it with the salt of your grace and wisdom so that people will take note and, and help us to be light, be the light of the world in the city set on a hill like you called us to be. And while your heads are bowed, if you're, if you're here this morning and maybe you, you're realizing how empty your life has become and you're, maybe you're ready for a change, maybe you're ready to make that same transaction I made 46 years ago when I surrendered my life to God and received his life in return. If that's you, it'd be my honor to pray with you right now. You can pray out loud. You can whisper it. You can say it in your heart. The important thing is you just mean what you say. Just believe it in your heart. And the Bible says that you'll be saved. So just say, Jesus, thank you for dying on the cross and paying for my sins. Right now, today, Lord, I I receive the forgiveness and the healing that you offer. And I give you my life. And I receive your life in return. Come and live inside of me by your Holy Spirit. Be my Lord and my Savior. Change me. Give me a fresh start. And help me be a world changer for you. In Jesus' name, amen.